0: The more that we can confront and unmask our fears, we find on the other side of that mask is actually an invitation to love.
1: You're listening to The Seed Conversations for Radical Hope, a Pendle Hill podcast where Quakers and other seekers come together to explore visions of the world that is growing up through the cracks of our broken systems. I'm your host, Dwight Dunstan. This season, we're creating a space to explore the Quaker testimony of integrity. Together with our guest, we'll talk through the challenges and possibilities of aligning our intentions and actions and embodying our values with authenticity and grace. Our guest today is Anton Flores Masonette. Anton is the founding director of Casa Alterna, a ministry offering hospitality, accompaniment, and assistance to individuals and families from over 50 countries seeking asylum in the United States. Anton also serves as the friend-in-residence at the Atlanta Friends Meeting and as a spiritual director, writer, speaker, husband, and father. Well, welcome, Anton, to... The Seed, Conversations for Radical Hope. It is such an honor to meet you, to be connected with you. I've gotten the chance to read about your work, hear about your passions, and the way your compassion manifests, is actualized, is lived out. And I've got lots of curiosities as we sit together today, and I want to pace myself and just begin with the question that we ask all of our guests as they as they land in the space. And that is, if you can just share a little bit about what it's like to be Anton today. What is it like being you today? Mm.
0: Well, thanks Dwight. It is great to be here and it's wonderful to see the seed grow and now be in its second season. And so what it's like to be me today is to be honored to be here in this presence. Um, but also, to be a person who is finding contentment in the midst of what is always I think will be a life of transition and of transformation
1: I appreciate you bringing us in, and I know conversations that i 've been having with people who have been in my life for a long time people i 'm just meeting you know it feels like a season of transitions for lots of folks what What supports you as as you discern callings, discern decisions that might impact you or your family or communities that you're a part of? What helps you to discern from a place of groundedness, of hopefulness, of possibility? Mm. And yeah, I just, just want to hear any, any learnings.
0: Yeah, well, I'm also uh, a spiritual director or a spiritual companion. And I would say that discernment isn't about making a decision. I mean, that is that is a significant part of discernment, right, is, is, is being at those crossroads when a decision needs to be made. As much as it is a habit of paying attention, paying attention to what spirit might be saying to us, paying attention to what our own bodies are saying to us, and having that Growing sense of self-awareness while also lessening our self-consciousness, if that makes sense. And that's actually one of my... The one of the paradoxes that I'm living into right now is, is uh, trying to grow in my self-awareness while also uh, decreasing my self-consciousness. <laughs> um, and, so, and, and community. Community is another place where we get to pay attention. Community is a wonderful gift where we get to uh, cultivate and discover or uncover our gifts, but also sometimes where we're confronted with a mirror that reminds us of how we are still invited uh, to grow into wholeness. Mm -hmm. Um, And so all of that, I think, is discernment. Uh, Discernment is when we can align our spirits and our minds and our bodies and our communities in a direction that leads us into that mystery that King called the beloved community or what Charles Eisenstein calls that more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible.
1: Mm -hmm. As you know, Anton, in the second season we are exploring this theme of integrity one of the foundational testimonies of quakerism and i'm so curious to hear from you what you have come to understand as the meaning of integrity to be you know what have been some of your different teachings or teachers or experiences that have helped to shape your definition of integrity and and yeah how has how has integrity shaped your life so it's it's a few different questions but would love to hear reflections on, any or all of those things.
0: When I was a child, there was a series of books that I loved uh, that were called Choose Your Own Adventure. I don't know if you're familiar with these books, but they weren't very thick, but they had like 30 possible different endings. And so it would invite, you know, the child mind to be really creative and you would read a few pages and then it might say, if you enter the dark, mysterious cave, turn to page, whatever. If you decide to go around the mountain, go to this page. And, and so as you're taking this journey, you're invited to choose your own adventure, to collaborate with the unknown author, uh, in, in, in figuring out what the ending might be. Um, I have viewed that, that my life, um, is, an adventure where i get the opportunity whether it's at the again the major crossroads in life or even just right now in this very moment i can decide you know which path i want to take and that integrity is then saying how do i align my highest ideals with my everyday decisions And so that when I'm at that turn the page and discerning, you know, do I go through the dark, mysterious cave or do I go around the mountain? The invitation is to say, which of these options will lead me closer towards my ideal values? Hmm. And the closer I walk towards my ideal values, that feels like integrity, uh, because that feels like I'm living um, a life of wholeness.
1: Mm. Mm -hmm. Every time I talk to a guest, my definition of integrity is enriched. (laughs) And I'm so curious, how does one begin to focus in on the values that are most important to them and live into those values? We've talked a number of times about the head and the heart, connecting something in your mm-hmm. head, you know, I value community. I value love. But it's one thing to have that up in in your mind. And then there's another thing to root that in your heart. Mm-hmm. And then we've taken it a step further. There's one thing to have it in your heart and another thing to manifest it in the hands and the work you actually do in the world. So, mm-hmm. so I'm curious how it has worked for you, gone for you to integrate the value of integrity of just not living up, as an, as an idea in your head, but really rooting it in your heart, and then how that informed or now informs the work that you do with your hands, the work you do in the world. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, let me first say that a life of integrity isn't without contradictions.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so, you know, I am filled with contradictions, right? So it is the journey to what Carrie Newcomer calls the beautiful not yet uh, integrity. And, uh, and so that even means my life is a journey towards that beautiful not yet. Um, So, I think that some of the the key ingredients that it requires is the naming of what we fear, Mm. the confronting of what we fear, so that it disarms that fear. So, again, for me, one of my central charisms is hospitality. Many people would be afraid of inviting a stranger into their home, Mm -hmm. uh, much less into their heart. I have found that confronting that fear has been one of the greatest gifts. We live in a culture where its rhetoric, its politics are all undergirded by fear. And so the more that we can confront our fears, I love Nina Simone's quote, you know, freedom is living without fear. And so the more that we can confront and unmask our fears, we find on the other side of that mask is actually an invitation to love. And so my life motto and the, and the motto of our Casa Alterna is that love crosses borders. And so it's embedded in that is that borders are those places, whether they're politically constructed, socially constructed, or psychologically constructed, there are those places where we are told to fear whatever is on the other side of that border. Hmm. Um, And so, the idea that it is love that crosses borders, um, to me, that's kind of the encapsulation of how one then can live with an integrity in an empire, in a culture, in a time when what we are often taught is fear erects borders, and so protection is paramount uh mm. and what I'm saying is as though the pursuit of beloved community is what is paramount, and the only way that happens is that when is when love crosses borders
1: mm. Mm. just hearing you talk anton it's it's so grounding for me. Because I know it's hard for me to always name what fears I have, to bring others into that, to bring community into that, and to actually have to look at it and face it. And and I hear you saying that naming our fears is a big piece of being able to live a life of integrity. And what you're offering out, it feels so much in alignment with your work, too. You talked about right your work of inviting strangers in and radical hospitality, right? What you're actually doing is turning that idea of stranger on its head. Like this person is me, is a part of me, is in my community. My well-being, wholeness, liberation is wrapped up in, in this interaction with, you know, and this person that's in front of me who needs support. So, yeah, maybe you want to share a little bit more about the work you all do. And and I also know that you brought a quote in. So maybe tying your work with the quote, if it feels Available to you to do so.
0: It's interesting that this conversation we're talking a lot about integrity, and yet you know what I'm hearing us say is actually that at the center of integrity is mystery. Um, so almost at the center of of trying to live a whole life. All of a sudden, we disintegrate into whether it's the mystery of being interconnected with one another or whether it's, you know, becomes what some mystics call the cloud of unknowing. It's interesting that the, that the closer we get to integrity, all of a sudden, you know, we, we enter into kind of a new mystery. Hmm. Um, and I say that because it reminds me when I was a child. And I was in a, a pretty, pretty elite boy choir, and we were on tour in Mexico City. And while the seventy-some odd boys in our very elite uh, attire were standing outside of a restaurant, a I was approached by a little boy who was panhandling on the streets of Mexico City. And you know, to make a long story short. I learned in our very brief encounter, um, I say brief because one of the chaperones immediately, you know, made the boy just, you know, leave and then chastise me for, for doing something reckless and dangerous. And again, that's that kind of cultural fear that was kind of imposed upon me. Mm. Although I never understood why I should have been afraid. But, in that very brief encounter, what I did learn is that the little boy in Mexico City shared the same name and was the same age as my younger brother hmm. um, and so, in that moment, like I felt as though that was my brother um, hmm. that that there was there was nothing you know. Yes, there was everything that separated us and everything that was different from him and my brother. But yet, in another mystical way, there was nothing different and nothing that would separate him and my brother. Yeah. So with our current work with asylum seekers, when they first arrive at the Atlanta Friends meeting after being released from immigration detention— I genuinely want to then hear their story of migration. And I mean, and this is the first minute in which they've met me. And oftentimes they are exhibiting tremendous vulnerability themselves as they talk about the, the the treacherous journey that they made maybe through the Darien Gap, the jungle region between Colombia and Panama that so many of our guests have had to you know, journey through for, for over a, a week um, in, in, uh, in really inhumane conditions to then arrive at, at the U.S.-Mexico border to then be held in multiple detention facilities without due process. I mean, the fact that they are already sharing those stories with me, much less if even in our short encounters with with most of our guests, if they actually uh, disclose to us um, the reasons why they felt forced to leave their homes, why they were displaced, what violence, what what fears, what persecutions led them to leave, um, I mean, when we can engage. The other with mm. curiosity and with compassion, which is right, which is so different than what we're seeing on the media um, when we're seeing, you know, what's happening at the border and the way that it's being described. But when we can listen with compassion and curiosity and with non judgment, it is holy ground, mm. um, and it is a a beautiful, beautiful place to be. Mm. The quote that I bring to this conversation is a quote that has stuck with me for many years. It's a bit heady uh, in that it has lots of adjectives, but it's the reason why we call our ministry Casa Alterna. Um, Alterna being a great word uh, or prefix for a word in English or Spanish for alternative. In Spanish, it'd be alternativa. Uh, You know, that is our hope, is that again, through our small, faithful acts of radical hospitality, that in the shadow of these Goliath policies and these behemoth immigration detention centers, that we are showing a more loving and humane alternative. And so the the quote from Brueggemann from his seminal book, Mm. Uh, The Prophetic Imagination, is this. The task of prophetic ministry is to nurture nourish and evoke a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. I'll say that again. The task of prophetic ministry is to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. Yeah. That's a very powerful waymark for me mm-hmm. to just remind myself that I am not here to single-handedly uh, dismantle oppression and injustice that is so pervasive in the dominant culture. Um, that I can recognize that its mindset, like white supremacy and unbridled capitalism, is so seeped into our consciousness and our perception that even it's a part of the way I see the world and I'm continually trying to see the world through different lens. But that the invitation for me is to just say, knowing that, how do I nurture and nourish and evoke a more hopeful alternative?
1: hmm yeah to me what casa alterna is doing what you're doing with your your work your calling your vocation is nourishing nurturing evoking yeah this alternative this this alternative perception perspective than the ones we are socialized to have about stranger the other it's activating a different way of being and being in a relationship. And to me, it, it, it's just aligning with so much of what we've covered today around, right, that living into the integrity, that value, being called to actually live out and practice a different way of being, <laughs> a different and alternate perception is that value of integrity being lived out in all of its fullness.
0: I believe that integrity is not about social conformity, uh, but it's about the pursuit of that more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible. And Mm -hmm. that's a quote from Charles Eisenstein. So if it is that pursuit towards a more beautiful world, then that means sometimes we have roadmaps. Our ancestors can point the ways, uh, folks who have inspired us along the way. Um, But inevitably, to live it out in our one finite life and in our unique
1: context, it does require experimentation. Mm -hmm. Anton, it really struck me this idea of, you know, integrity is not necessarily following the right hashtag, that it has something deeper, a deeper presence, a deeper manifestation of our ideal values, as you named. And I'm just curious if you can just share a little bit more about the contradictions or the distance between one thinking about Integrity is just, you know, connected to our morals and this deeper definition of integrity that you're actually calling into being that is maybe even on just a different plane than just thinking about our morals, our morality.
0: You know, so morality is imprinted upon us as children as being doing what an authority figure says is right. Uh, it's reinforced in, in, you know, in our growing up uh, as children, that our parents are that authority figure. It's then, you know, uh, further layered with, with, with school settings, telling what's right or wrong. And we get, you know, reinforcement around that with different types of awards, like citizenship awards, those types of things that tell us this is what is right and what is wrong. But at some point, morality must give way to an integrity uh, that says there are even values that, that can't be codified by law or that even our laws disagree with right mm-hmm. now. I mean, there are such things as unjust laws. At some point, it was totally acceptable to, to own slaves here in Georgia. And so I would imagine there were a lot of slave owners who were seen as morally good people by the status quo, by the powers that be. And Mm -hmm. and yet integrity calls us to to greater values of justice, of peace, of cooperation, of diversity, of inclusion, all, all of those things. And so for an individual seeking to live a life of integrity, they... Will oftentimes find themselves having to wrestle against the very arbiters of morality, uh, and so so that will mean that their quote unquote civil disobedience is actually what I often call a divine obedience in pursuit of that integrity of ideals with their one and only finite
1: life. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Anton. I'm going to be thinking about civil disobedience and divine obedience a lot. <laughs> and so much of what, what you shared. To close, I'm, I'm wondering if there's one practice or one offering for our listeners as they leave this conversation perhaps inspired and energized and more hopeful but still unsure of what that first step towards living a, a life that's more committed to integrity. What would you offer to, to our listeners as a last takeaway from this mm-hmm. conversation today?
0: Well, if I start with the most simplest of steps, I think the most radical step we can take towards living with integrity is to live with self-compassion. So I go back to that Thich Nhat Hanh preaching, or teaching rather, where Thich Nhat Hanh invites us to name whatever it is within ourselves that feels to be a contradiction to our ideal values and to lovingly name that contradiction, to view it with the same compassion as we would to a stranger and to say to that Loving stranger that dwells within us, love will care for us both. Hmm. I think that's a beautiful first step. And then beyond that, it's uh, experimenting with a community of people uh, who um, I live. I live most fully when I live in community. Hmm. Um, I do not ascribe to the concept of individualism, and so the danger, even in doing, you know, an interview like this, is to say like. I am standing on the shoulders of, of so many folks who have nurtured and nourished and evoked me and who have been alongside me as we've tried to embody these these alternatives and so do these experimentations in community um, insofar as it's possible.
1: Hmm. Well, thank you so much, Anton, for being here and present and bring us into your own journey. And I want to honor you and all of the various individuals and experiences and the more than human kin, you know, that have supported you to be uniquely who you are, Um, because we're blessed by you. I hear you saying, we don't want to forget the people who got you here or the, the moments that got you here. So we are blessed by them. Just so grateful for the conversation that we were able to to have today and the ways we were able to build. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you. You've been a wonderful host. I've been enjoying listening to the way in which you display empathy uh, and curiosity and engagement with, with prior guests. And it's an honor to now have spent this time with you. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey. Hey, 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 hey in the morning
1: Pendle Hill is a Quaker center open to all for spirit-led learning, retreat and community. We're located in Wallingford, Pennsylvania on the traditional territory of the Lenape people. Visit us at pendlehill.org. Many of our guests are teachers, leaders and speakers at Pendle Hill. For a full list of these upcoming education opportunities, visit our events page at pendlehill.org learn. This podcast was produced and edited by Ariel Goodman with editorial support by Pendle Hill Education Associate Anna Hill and advising from Education Director Francis Kramer. Our episodes were mixed by Leah Shaw Dameron and our theme music is The I Rise Project by Reverend Retta Morgan and Bennett Kuhn, produced by Astronautical Records. This project was made possible by the generous support of the Thomas H. and Mary Williams Shoemaker Fund. Please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Helps us to continue planting these seeds. You can follow us at Pendle Hill Seed on all social media platforms.